Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 183 with Dr. Paul White. Paul is talking about appreciation, how critically important it is. You may be surprised just how much so and how to do it well. So you'll learn one, the studies proving the superlative importance of appreciation in the workplace. Two, how to make your appreciation authentic instead of phony. And three, five languages to show appreciation in the workplace. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep183. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our great resources. One that I'd highlight for you right now is just that little magnifying glass in the navigation bar. If you click it, you can search the full text transcript of all 183 episodes. So if we've covered an issue then it will be right there. And even if you forgot, oh, some guest said something brilliant, but what was it? All I remember is this little phrase. That's enough to pull it up. Also, huge thanks to our listener, James, who highlighted, hey, Pete, you know, that actually doesn't show up in the mobile version on my phone. And I said, oh, okay. So I've got someone we're trying to figure that out, but you might need to do it from your desktop for now. And then we'll get it on the mobile, hopefully within just a couple of days. And James also sent me his favorite Instant Pot recipes. I love that. So please, I love getting to know you in all your ways. So if you want to stay in touch, give me some feedback. I love hearing it. It's Pete at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Paul's story. Dr. Paul White is a psychologist, author, speaker, and consultant who makes work relationships work. He's written articles for and been interviewed by Bloomberg's Business Week, CNN slash Fortune.com, Entrepreneur.com, Fast Company, FoxBusiness.com, Huffington Post Live, U.S. News and World Report, Yahoo Finance, and others. Now, here's Paul. Paul, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. I'm glad to be invited to join with you. Oh, certainly. Well, so now I got a kick out of learning that your wife is an identical twin and the two of you also have identical twin sons. When you're at sort of a family gathering, a reunion situation, is there a lot of mix-ups or people just sort of shy away from saying names because they're afraid to get them wrong? Or how do you navigate that? Oh, no, people are used to it. And so they'll just say, now, which one are you? (laughs) Usually for my wife and her sister, it's not as big as issue as for my son. So it's just part of the, the culture. It's interesting, though, that supposedly identical twins are a random event that happens every 20,000 pregnancies. And so we've got two random events in a row. So it's fun. Every 20,000, huh? Wow. I thought it was more commonly occurring than that. That's wild. And so 20,000 times 20,000, does that mean the odds of that happening two generations in a row? Is that like mathematically 40 million or 400 million? Mm. Yeah, let's see. Is that 20,000 <laughs> squared? Four zeros, eight zeros. <laughs> so uh, whatever that is. Yeah, it's a big one. Actually, wild. twins are more frequent, but identical twins. Uh, are okay, less. I follow. I got
Cool. Well, so now, anyway, we're going to talk about appreciation here. And so you've got a couple books to this tune, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, and then more recently, The Vibrant Workplace. Tell me, in your psychological background and consulting, you know, why did you choose appreciation of all topics to really go deep on? Like, what makes this important to you? Well, it actually stems out of an earlier book by my co-author, Dr. Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages which is for personal relationships. And it's an amazing book. It sold 11 million copies. It's in 50 languages. And my wife and I were reading it and found it to be helpful. And then I, I consult with family-owned businesses and deal with the relational issues within that context. And was dealing with a situation where the father and son just were not connecting and sort of couldn't hear each other positively and saw the opportunity for this concept of baby being translated into the workplace. And so I pursued Dr. Chapman for over a year and then convinced him to let me work on the online assessment tool that we developed called the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory. And that became then the basis for the training that we do for workplaces and then the five languages of appreciation. So it was sort of out of a personal need. And then I found that the need is huge out there because there are just a whole bunch of people that really don't feel valued or appreciated in the workplace and an amazing research that demonstrates that. Oh, yes. You know, I believe I bumped into a study from, I think it was the Boston Consulting Group, which surveyed, well, you know it better than I did, huh? They surveyed like 200,000 plus employees. And that's what they came across as like the number number one one thing. Yeah. Yeah. The number one thing that people want in a workplace that helps them enjoy their work. You know, a couple other points. One is some research showed 79% of the people who leave their job voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation is one of the primary reasons. Most managers and employers think people leave for more money, but it's usually not the case because leaving a job takes a lot of emotional energy. And so it takes really an emotional driver to do that. And so a lot of people take off uh, when they don't feel valued. Yes, certainly. And so you go farther and you call appreciation a good investment in sort of like dollars or cents terms. What do you mean by that? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, we've got research in both books, The Five Language Appreciation and The Vibrant Workplace, that shows how when people, when staff, employees, managers feel valued, good things happen for the business. I mean, tardiness, coming back from breaks, reduces absenteeism, goes down, staff turnover goes down, and we know that's the number one non-productive cost for a business. We also know that it reduces conflict between team members over stupid little stuff that really doesn't matter and increases productivity in some settings, not at all, but also it increases customer satisfaction ratings. So it's a lot of areas that it indirectly affects how well the company functions in serving its customers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I'm good and convinced that uh, there's a powerful why here when it comes to appreciation, doing it, we want more of it and we should go ahead and make that happen. So can you share some of the how in terms of what are some of the most potent, powerful, applicable ways that we should go about appreciating one another at work? Yeah. And in fact, let me start by how you don't. All right. And because it's a big issue, you know, 85 to 90% of all the companies and organizations in North America have some form of employee recognition program. And those have really sort of mushroomed over the last two decades. However, those don't make people feel valued or appreciated. There's a good purpose and reason for recognition, and that is for performance. But it only tends to hit the top 15 to 20% of workers 
who sort of, you know, meet, exceed goals or, you know, your high performers. So that leaves 80% that really sort of never hear anything positive. And besides that, we've done a fair amount of research into employee recognition programs actually now are creating negative reactions from people because they don't believe that they're authentic. At least they're sarcastic about it and they think, ah, it's just going through the motions because they're very organizational. Whereas appreciation is a very personal kind of thing. So we found that to communicate authentic appreciation, there's some core factors that need to happen and it's not contained in employee recognition. Okay. What core factors got to happen? So first it needs to be communicated regularly, meaning, you know, not just once a year at a performance review or maybe every six months. And it differs according to the setting and type of relationship, but it has to happen every once in a while. Otherwise it just feels like this is random and I don't know if they really mean it. Secondly, it needs to be in the language and actions that are important to the recipient. Lots of times supervisors and managers, you know, try to communicate appreciation in the ways that are important to them, whether that's a compliment or stopping spending time with people or giving them a gift. But if you don't know what's important to the other person, you're likely to miss the mark. So you got to do it in a way that's important to them. Third, it needs to be about them and delivered personally. The other mistake that a lot of leaders make is that they just sort of do this global way to go team. We met our goals for the quarter or good job, Bob, whatever it is. And it's very vague and nonspecific. And so it needs to be specific about them and given to them individually rather than as a group. And then lastly, it has to be viewed as authentic. If it's not, people just sort of poo-poo it and don't care. And so that whole authenticity piece that we spend a lot of time on when we train leaders and managers, because you've got to get past it. And, And sometimes it's tough because there's a lack of trust from historic sort of inauthentic recognition that's gone on. Oh, Paul, I love it. Your research just shines through here in terms of, okay, here are four core distinctions that, you know, might be counterintuitive to some, you know, or they could just sort of brush right past them because they haven't identified sort of the opposite. So I'd love it if we could spend maybe two or three minutes on each of these four principles, if we could. So on the first one, when it comes to being communicated regularly, you know, as opposed to just randomly here and there. So I guess I'm hoping that there wouldn't be like a tension between communicating it regularly and and authenticity, because if it's like, oh, this is my Thursday morning compliment time, (laughs) you know, I don't know if I believe that it's for real. So how do you navigate that? Well, and that is a tension, especially with engineers, uh, because they like to schedule things. Uh And so it has to be really in the moment is helpful. I mean, uh, appreciation and any kind of praise is best when it's done relatively soon after the event. And so part of it is really developing an attitude of looking for opportunities to support and say or do something positive in response to actions that you see from your team members. So it's not so much a schedule as much as a mindset, although to be able to do it in the language, we go to the next one, doing it in the language that's important to the recipient. We have this inventory that identifies each person's primary language, their secondary language that they value, and then their least valued one, which is important because that's your blind spot. That's the one that doesn't come natural to you. So let's say if that's quality time, and you have team members that quality time is important to them, you may actually have to schedule that or put it on your calendar just as a reminder, not that you're going to do it at you know 8.15 on Tuesday, but having that mindset because otherwise you're going to miss those people. 
Okay, that's helpful. So you've got that mindset there. So you're kind of ready to pounce or to strike, to find something good and appreciate it there as it occurs. And so that makes it all the more real. So then let's talk then about that second perspective when it comes to a language that resonates with them and hits their importance. Now you've done some research there in terms of which of the languages appear most frequently and least frequently in professional environments. What are the results of this research? Right. So we had over 100,000 people take our inventory and looked at that. And the most frequently desired uh, language of appreciation are words of affirmation. People like to hear words, compliments, and so forth. Now, one of the things that we learned is that it's not just the language, but you need to know the specific actions that are okay with that person. Because one of the things that recognition programs do that creates problems is they call people up in front of a large group and give them you know, attention and recognition that way. We found that 30 to 40% of the general population don't want to go up in front of a large group. And in fact, I mean, actively don't want to. Mm-hmm. And if you have administrative assistants or other kinds of more sort of background people, the number is even higher. So it's about doing it in the language and finding that out. Um, and we use our inventory as well as the actions. And so some people, you know, an email is fine. Some people, you know, just call them off to the side and say, hey, man, you did a great job on that presentation. You were really clear. You made your points and had action steps afterwards and way to go, you know. And so you've got to figure that out. Otherwise, what we find is that you wind up trying to do the same thing for everybody and it misses the mark. It's sort of like shooting a shotgun and, and you just miss a whole bunch. All right. And so when it comes to these words of affirmation, it's a runaway favorite, it seems. I think those who don't yet have the mindset of trying to do this appreciation or might even feel uncomfortable, <laughs> like that's touchy-feely to me. I don't talk right, to right. people that way. Sure. How could they start kind of loosening up and going there when it does feel like some maybe unnatural or, or awkward, you know, first steps yeah. to begin articulating this stuff? Absolutely. And in fact, I mean, we work with computer geeks and engineers and other people that aren't comfortable sort of personally giving a compliment. So we start out just with a written email or a note. And basically you want to think about what does this person do that I value that if they didn't do their task or whatever would make my daily life tougher. And so we just identify what do you value, communicate it, give a specific example and write them a note. That gives you time to sort of think about it, maybe even, you know, tweak it a little bit. And that's a great way to start. Oh, that is a powerful question. What do they do that I value? In other words, if they didn't do it, I would suffer. I would have some negative consequences. I think when you phrase it that way, it suddenly becomes very easy to say, oh my gosh, well, there's tons of things that if my collaborators weren't doing, I would be in a world of hurt, you know, real quick. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I've learned, because we've been doing this eight or 10 years with groups that trying to sort of drum up appreciation for somebody that you don't think you appreciate is tough. But if you think about value, what do I value about them? Then appreciation flows from that. And in the Vibrant Workplace, my new book that is centered around 10 obstacles to creating a culture of appreciation, one of the things we you know deal with is difficult to appreciate colleagues. What do you do with somebody that you really don't like or they're sort of negative and grumpy and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, you've brought it up. What do you do? Well, you look for something that you can value and it may not be work-related. Okay. And let's say we even deal with low performers. They may not be, you know, really getting the job done as much as you'd like, but maybe they're cheerful and fun and have a fun laugh. And you can say, you know, I, I really like it when I hear you laugh. It just sort of lights up the room. And that's a start, you know, or it could be something outside of work about 
I'm really impressed with how you're training for, you know, that half marathon and just the discipline you're demonstrating with that or to a single mother. I'm just super impressed about how committed you are to your kids and serving them and, and doing well with them. It's not work related, but you're building a relationship and actually a sense of loyalty by calling out the things that you see that are of value in them. All right, perfect. And so then that third principle, you said it is specific and it's about them and it's delivered personally. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you think, do I even have to say this? But then I hear examples come back to me. It's like, you know, there was a president that told his administrative assistant, hey, I want you to go tell Jacob what a great job he did on that presentation. (laughs) Like, dude, get out of your chair. You know, I mean, go talk to the person. So it's that. And also... I encourage people to think about soccer. You know, if you're a soccer coach of little kids, you can't wait to praise them until they score a goal because that may not happen for several games. But you're looking for things that approximate what you want and call attention to that. So it's, hey, I really, thanks for getting your report done and in on time to me. It helps me be able to get my report to my supervisor. So you try to be really specific about behaviors that are helping move towards the goal. Okay, excellent. And then that fourth principle there, yeah, the authenticity, Let's hear it. it's huge. And sometimes we have to think about, and you have to understand that you don't want to blow through it. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows the positive effects of showing appreciation. But if you don't value or appreciate somebody, don't try to fake it because it will undermine the trust that is there. And so sometimes you have to stop and think about it and then do what you can to communicate it in an authentic way. And that partly has to do with eye contact and tone of voice. And so if you're shy or nervous, that can come across as, you know, you don't really mean it because anxiety sort of covers that for people. So sometimes, you know, writing it down is better. But I think the key thing here is that, you know, it's not always words, right? I mean, words is less than half of the employee's primary language. So over half, one of the other languages is important. And related to recognition, you know, they use a lot of rewards and gifts and stuff like that. We found that that's less than 10% of the employees' desired way of being shown appreciation. So I think companies are wasting a lot of money on things and stuff that really doesn't get the job done as far as demonstrating that they value their employees. Okay. Well, so now I'd love it if maybe you could just sort of spark some creative ideas for appreciation right here. So could you lay out for us, you know, just rapid fire, the list of these five languages and maybe two or three things that are broadly applicable that, you know, most employees can do for another colleague? Sure. So the first is words of affirmation and, you know, sort of a sentence structure for giving an effective praise is use the person's name. So Steve, secondly, make it specific. Thanks for getting here on time, regularly, day in, day out. And the third point is why it's important either to you, to the organization, or your clients. Steve, thanks for getting here on time regularly. That way, I don't have to worry about if we've got somebody here to meet and greet customers if they show up a little bit early. So be very specific. Username, if you're writing it, make sure you spell their name correctly because that doesn't go well if you misspell it. So words are key. And, you know, just be specific. You can't. Quality time is the second language. And, you know, one of the obstacles that we talk about in the vibrant workplace is that people are busy. And so you think about time, it's like, I don't have time for this. But especially to managers and leaders, I say just because a person's language is quality time doesn't mean they want time with you. Mm. Sometimes they would like time with their manager to talk or listen, share. 
But other times they're like, no, nah, they're too intense. I don't <laughs> really want to be with them, but I like hanging out with my friends, going out to lunch or going out after work and watching sports or something. So that's where we really want to identify the specific actions so that you're not checking in with somebody and trying to spend time with them when they don't want time with you. So it's real specific on who and how and where. And usually it doesn't take much time. I had a CFO tell me, she said, my language is quality time, but all I like is somebody coming by the office, check in, see how I'm doing. After five minutes, I'm booting them because I got too much to do. Yeah. Third language, acts of service. It's not rescuing somebody who's low performing, but it's that probably the easiest way to think about it is when you're looking at a deadline, you're trying to get stuff done and you're pushing for it. What could somebody do that would make your day or week go better? I mean, it could be bringing in lunch so you can work through the lunch hour. It might be holding calls so that you can focus on the project and, you know, not have to worry about interruptions. Sometimes it's, you know, going to the supply room, they're going and they say, hey, you need anything? And you say, yeah, you know, pick me up a pad of paper and some pens or whatever. It's usually very little stuff, but that just helps them realize and feel like, you know, you're considering them. For some people, words are not only sort of neutral, they're negative. I mean, some people, words are cheap. You know, don't tell me you care, show me. And if all you do is praise them, but never help them out, they're not real impressed with that. Mm -hmm. Fourth language is tangible gifts. And it's not bonuses, compensation, raises. It's small things that show you're getting to know your colleagues. And it could be bringing in their favorite Starbucks. It could be ordering pizza that you make sure you get the Hawaiian because you know they like the Hawaiian. Or maybe they're, you know, you're in Chicago. Maybe they're a Big Ten football fan, you know. And so you get them a preseason magazine about that. Say, hey, I saw this. You might be interested in It's about getting to know them and letting them know that you thought about them outside of work. It's not about the money. I mean, you're not looking to get a flat screen TV for them. You know, it's just something small. And really, it is about the thought at that point. Mm -hmm. And then the last language is physical touch, uh, which a lot of people both laugh about, makes them nervous. We always say when I'm talking to HR managers, we have a paramedic in the room to deal with their stress. (laughs) (laughs) Lawsuit. But uh, physical touch is just spontaneous celebration in the workplace. I mean, it happens. Now, it differs regionally. You know, in the South, they do side hugs, but pretty much around, except for maybe, you know, far Northeast, you know, you got high fives, you got a fist bump, you got, you know, congratulatory handshake. And it's just, you know, celebrating when good things happen. And so it's there, you know, we sort of manage and contain that, but uh, it can be a lot of fun, too. Oh, certainly. Absolutely. You know, and I'm thinking back to Dr. Paul Zak, the oxytocin researcher, you know, talking about the power of hugs and we had him on the show and he was, he was a blast. And he just said that was part of his natural script was when someone extends a hand to him, he says, Mm -hmm. just, I hug everybody. And most of the time they're like, well, okay. (laughs) And then every, just very rarely they look freaked out and be like, okay, well, I'll shake your hand. So yeah, it can be done. It can be done professionally and no HR (laughs) litigation issues need to rise from that. So very good. Well, so thanks for laying that out there. And so now I wanted to make sure we covered maybe a bit more of the opposite for just a touch by contrast. You've got what you call the ABCs of a sick workplace. Can you lay out, you know, what is that and how could we overcome it? Yeah, while I was out speaking and training about appreciation, I would have people at breaks and efforts come up and tell me how nasty their workplace was or what a jerk their boss was. So we went up doing research on toxic workplaces and writing a book on that. And all our resources can be found at appreciationatwork.com. It's the word at. And so 
toxic workplaces are really places which, first of all, typically, and I'm talking about toxic, deadly, really negative. It's not just incompetent, you know, sort of sick kind of stuff, but it's like hurtful. You got a toxic leader and the toxic leader doesn't have to be at the top. They can be a supervisor. They could be a department director, you know, a VP, but toxic leader are people who really are all about themselves. They use people for their purposes. People are just, you know, sort of like physical resources. They take credit for things that they didn't do. They're sort of like Teflon. They're able to get, you know, slide off of any mistakes. Everything is about them and they will destroy you if you get in the way and take credit that they think should come to them. So toxically, and you can't trust them because it's about them. And so you might be their right-hand person, but if it's to their benefit to get rid of you for their advancement, you know, you're out of there. So toxic leaders, secondly, a sick system. And a sick system is one that's just not healthy with regards to communication, with decision-making, with holding people accountable for their decisions. And I mean, if you think about government, university settings, medical settings, hospitals, long-term care facilities, and public schools, they're sort of a hallmark group of toxic workplaces because they have too many reporting relationships and too many sort of clientele that they're trying to answer to, and it doesn't work. And then the third component we found were dysfunctional colleagues. And these are people who basically dysfunctional, DYS means problem, they have a problem with functioning, they don't function according to the rules of the world of reality, that you make choices and then there are consequences versus they're experts at blaming, making excuses and negotiating. And there's some things in life you can't negotiate. And so they also are really good at getting others to get in conflict. It's sort of like, let's see you and him fight. And they're off to the side and they're skating, you know, and you get away. It's sort of like you got a negative situation. You go to a, a meeting and you walk in, you think, man, these people are getting nailed. And you walk out, and you go, you're fogged. You're like, what happened? Because they skated and somebody else got nailed for it. And you're just like, how did that happen? And so when you have those characteristics of a toxic leader, a sick system that doesn't work well, and then dysfunctional colleagues, you're in a pretty deadly place. Certainly. And so then we talked about appreciation. What are some of the other maybe best moves you can make if you find yourself enmeshed in all that? Well, if you're in a, a really negative, toxic workplace, the number one thing you need to do is take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will. And it will eat you up and chew you up and spit you out. And so you have to pay attention to your physical health. Are you sleeping okay? Usually that tends to go away. People worry. They do away with eating well. They don't exercise. And they start to have physical problems. And also their, their supportive relationships go away. So you got to take care of yourself because your leader's not going to. They're using you for their benefit. And secondly, you need to find somebody, whether it's in the organization or an outside sort of coach or friend or relative that can give you honest, straight feedback about thinking straight. Because you get fogged in these situations and you've got to have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of and say, am I thinking straight about this? This seems unethical. They say, no, that's not unethical. That's illegal. <laughs> you know, they shouldn't be doing it. And so you've got to have that as well as you've got to really just as much as possible try to find somebody that you can hang out with, keep positive while you maybe look for another place. Okay. Thank you. Well, Paul, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a few of your favorite things? 
You know, I think the key thing is in any of these situations, whether you're just in a normal place, you want to try to make it better or a really bad place is you can make a difference. And it doesn't matter what your position is in the, the work in the organization, because we've seen receptionists, we've seen facility, you know, people start to communicate positively with others and start to impact those around them. So don't feel like you're powerless in the situation. You may be powerless to change the whole organization, but being able to focus on those people you interact with day to day is key and start there. Now, can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Sort of a lifelong quote I had since I was young is there's a sort of an ancient Middle Eastern saying, it says, he who walks with the wise will become wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so I've just tried to always get around people who are smarter than me, more successful than I am, and just hang out and learn and watch. And uh, I think that's a great way to sort of go through life and try to learn from people who are smarter than you are. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite book? I love the book Integrity by Henry Cloud. And the first chapter is worth the cost of the book where he just shows how leaders when they don't understand the relationship between tasks and people, chew people up and then you got nothing to show for it. So it's a really solid book for leaders and those that want to become leaders. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? <laughs> well, I was thinking about it. You know, I'm a boomer. It's going to be really old school, but I'm thankful for the internet. And if you didn't live before the internet, life and research was a lot tougher back then and took a lot longer. And Right now, the tools and the amount of information we have, if you can sort through it, is amazing and it's cool. And, you know, for younger workers, that's sort of like, yeah, whatever. But it's sort of like, man, if you've ever lived without air conditioning, it's, you become really thankful. So. <laughs> and thank you for turning off your air conditioner for our conversation amidst you the heat. You are a champion and it's not lost on me. Thank you. <laughs> and how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours? I find that it works really well to admit when you don't know something. First of all, you don't have to sort of pose like you know everything. And secondly, it engages other people that you aren't trying to be able to know at all. And it allows them potentially to share some advice if they know it. And it also provides the opportunity to learn. So I find that instead of trying to act like I know everything, I, you know, I got a PhD and, you know, spoken across the world. But, hey, I don't know everything and if I don't, admit it, and we can move on. All right. And how about a resonant nugget, a piece that you share in your speaking or writing that seems to really connect and get people nodding their heads and, and resonating? Yeah, the key in any kind of relationship, and it includes work relationships, is you got to focus on yourself. If you get focused on what your supervisor's not doing, what your colleagues do that bug you, what the administration or the management aren't doing, you're just going to waste a lot of time and energy focused on stuff that doesn't get you anywhere. You may have to focus on, okay, how am I going to respond to this? Or alternatively, focus on skills that you can develop to help make things go better. So don't worry about other people, what they're doing, what they're not doing. Focus on yourself and you're going to be moving ahead and leaving them behind. All right. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah, our website, appreciationatwork.com. And if they want to email, it'll get to me if they just use the admin email but appreciationatwork.com or drpaulwhite.com is another one as well. And uh, lots of information and free stuff, videos and, and articles and, and podcasts as well. So love to point people that way. Okay. And if you have a final call to action or challenge for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs, what would it be? 
it would be the two parts of don't engage in the negative stuff that's going on. You know, there's sarcasm, there's complaining, grumbling, you know, gossiping, backbiting. Just don't go there. And if you're with the group and they're going there, just excuse yourself, go away. And then look for something positive that you can say or do towards somebody. It doesn't have to be about them. It could be, you know, wow, what a gorgeous day. Or did you see that sunset last night? Or how about the bears? <laughs> or whatever's going. You know, it's just refreshing to hear somebody that's thankful and grateful. And it really sort of douses that fire of negativity and helps things go better. Mm. Fabulous. Well, Paul, this has been so enriching. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate you and I hope that uh, you receive and give much appreciation in the months to come here. Yes, Pete, thanks for the opportunity. I really do value it. I love that question he poses. What do I value about them? How would my life be more difficult, challenging, tricky, unpleasant, suboptimal, icky if they weren't present? And then you'll naturally appreciate that and it'll flow from it. And because you're thinking, oh, wow, yeah, sure enough, that would sure suck if I were in that sort of a bind without that support. So I thought that was so handy when you're maybe irritated <laughs> with a coworker, not feeling a whole lot of gratitude and appreciation. You can reframe that like, well, what if they were entirely gone? What would land on my plate and how much more insane would my life get? And suddenly I find my appreciation bubbles up in a hurry. And I hope you do too. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items that we referenced here, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep183. And I do hope you'll push subscribe so you'll hear from folks like our very next guest. It's Ivan Meisner. He is a master networker. He has created a networking organization that has tons and tons of chapters and does billions of dollars of referrals. So it's cool to hear networking perspective from a distinguished authority. So I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 